Do you know what day it is on Tuesday? Yeah? Do you know what day it is? Reformation Day. Yeah, you got that? I know some other people will be doing other things, but 500 years ago on Tuesday, a monk who at the time no one had heard of nailed a piece of paper to the door of the church where he served in Wittenberg, Germany. The monk's name was Martin Luther. On the piece of paper were 95 theses or um, debating points, problems he saw with the church of his day where they needed to be changed. Uh, A big thing that needed to change was something called indulgences, which is not a sort of extra special rich piece of cake. Uh, Indulgences was something that the medieval church was selling to people. And what the story they told was this. When you die, what happens next is not what the Bible says about going to God and judgment. No, what happens next is purgatory. Mm, A sort of limbo between heaven and hell. Where the dead gradually pay for their sins in this life. But here's the thing. The living were told... Listen, you can help, either by paying for masses to be said on behalf of those who died, or by buying a papal indulgence, a piece of paper authorised by the Pope, that were, uh, and it was claimed that either one of these would get the person that you did it for time off purgatory. That's what was taught. So if you had some spare money, well... Who wouldn't want to do that for people you love? For family members who died. A much-loved mum or dad or husband or wife. How could you possibly say you loved your family if you didn't pay for time off purgatory for them? They even had a slogan. When the coin in the coffer rings... The soul in purgatory springs. Now, what you make of that? It's a twisted, sick protection racket, isn't it? Playing on people's fears of the afterlife. And of course, if you were rich, you could buy your own insurance. All you need to do make sure in your will, as a rich person, you paid for indulgences for yourself and for requiem masses to be said on your behalf, and then, well, well, it'll it'll all help you, wouldn't it? Where did the money go? 50% of it went to the German archbishop, 50% went back to Rome to build St. Peter's and to finance the Pope's lifestyle. What do you think of that? It would be fair, wouldn't it, to say that the Church of Martin Luther's day had gone wrong on that issue? That there needed to be reform? And it wasn't just 500 years ago, it goes back nearly 2,000 years to what we read a moment ago to the Apostle John in prison on the island of Patmos, given revelation by Jesus. And this revelation starts with seven messages, seven sections, specific churches receiving a specific message from Jesus. And we are reading the final one to the church in Laodicea. And when we turn to Revelation... It's the early church, it's one or two generations after Jesus, and already there are big problems. They too need to reform. For the Laodiceans, if we look down to verse 16, the problem was that they're lukewarm. 
We all know how that is, isn't it? You know, imagine a hot day. It's a good thing to imagine at this time of year. And you're just desperate for an ice-cold drink. And someone gives you a glass and you... And it's lukewarm water. Or it's a cold day. That's coming, isn't it? And and you'd love a hot cup of tea. And someone gives you the cup and you put it... And it's... It's lukewarm. And you want to spit it out again. That is how Jesus feels about this church we're reading about in Laodicea. Think about that. That is how Jesus feels about you and me and our church when we are lukewarm. He wants to say, that's not what I died to bring about. Well, how had the church got this way? If you look at verse 17, it tells you their attitude. They were focusing on outward appearances, good financial circumstances. I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. They, they lived in a city famous for its banking sector. Interesting. And its eye ointments uh, that they made there and they sold throughout the Roman world. They were wearing the latest fashion, no doubt. The health service was looking after them. Outwardly, everything was fine. But Jesus sees deeper. Verse 17, second half, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And as the whole human race is in our sinfulness, Laodiceans, Londoners uh, are no exception. But Jesus doesn't say this to sort of embarrass them and condemn them. Look where he goes with it next. Verse 18, he wants them to have riches, the very finest clothes, true healing so that they can see. Verse 19, it's those he loves that he rebukes and disciplines. So be earnest and repent. And then comes the most wonderful invitation in verse 20, which we'll come back to. (laughs) Do you see though, when a church goes wrong, Jesus is very strong. He calls out what's wrong. He names it and shames it. But he doesn't do it to condemn the people. He does it to call the people back to him so that they can repent, they can reform, to use the word we're using today. The reason that Martin Luther saw that so clearly in his day was almost certainly because of his own experience in coming to know Jesus. He came from an ordinary working family, his son of a minor, but he was clever. He went off to study law at university. Uh, One day, as a 21-year-old, he was on his way back to university and uh, got caught up in the fiercest thunderstorm he must have ever experienced, and a lightning bolt nearly struck him. He thought he was going to die. He cried out, Save me, and I'll become a monk! As you do. Well, he survived, and uh, two weeks later, he enrolled uh, to become an Augustinian monk, much to the dismay of his friends and family who thought he was wasting his talent. Now, Luther... He had a sort of deeply troubled sense that he wasn't right with God. Just like verse 17, he knew he he was wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And the way he dealt with that was he tried to be the very best monk he could be. He worked and worked at it. Prayer in chapel at three hourly intervals through the day, fasting, freezing himself in winter because he thought that might help, confessing and, oh boy, confessing and confessing some more, exhausting his superiors 
as hour after hour he detailed the latest sins that he'd, he'd thought about. But the more he did that, the more troubled he became. Was it enough? Were his motives right? And as later in life he looked back on that period, he wrote, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners, and secretly I was angry with God. It's quite a thing, isn't it? To realise that that was how he was, that was what was driving all of that fierce and, um, and, and furious activity. He thought the righteousness of God was his great problem because God was holy and he wasn't. But then reading through the Psalms, reading the book of Romans, he made his life-changing discovery. He began to understand what Romans says, that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That... God, in his righteousness, gives righteousness as a gift to those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not earning a, asking us to earn his love and acceptance. Forgiveness and peace with him is something received by simple faith and trust. That was Luther's revelatory discovery that the Lord helped him to see by the Holy Spirit's work as he read the Bible, as people had not done in, in the way that Luther was able to do because he had his own copy because they'd uh, started printing them. And so he discovered that instead of this constant striving and have I done enough, all that anxiety could be replaced with confidence and peace because he knew that Jesus had done it all. And he said, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise through open gates. That was the joy he knew on discovering what God had done for him. And that kind of stark before and after, I've no doubt that that was God's plan for Luther, that he should uh, see things so clearly for himself uh, because of God's role, that, that the role God had for him in the Reformation of, of Europe uh, 500 years ago. But you see, the discovery Luther made about God's goodness, the fact that his righteousness is, is wonderful and something we should celebrate, not fear, that's a discovery that every Christian has made and needs to keep making. So verse 20 of Revelation 3, we're getting there now. It's this most fabulous picture of Jesus, the, the one that Holman Hunt painted uh, in that beautiful painting. The, the picture of Jesus, they're ready to come into your life and to sit down with you and to share food with you. That's what Jesus calls us back to. Friendship and communion and family. And if you think about it with people you know in your life, there are sort of different levels of knowing someone, aren't there? There's, there's the saying hi and as, as you pass in the street or the corridor. There's actually knowing someone's name. No, hi, um, hi, Fred. Nice to see you again, Fred. Uh, there's knowing something about that person. So a conversation starts to, oh, Fred, uh, you've been away. How, how, how are you? How was the trip? Then there's just, just hanging out together. You just, you just spend time with people because you spend time with them. You sit down together for a drink. And then maybe you invite them over to your place for food. Unless you've met someone 
at a dinner of some kind, at a, a, a function or maybe at a wedding. Unless you've met someone in that way, eating together with someone, come over to my place, ooh, that's, that's deeper, isn't it, than just, oh, hi. It's a deeper friendship, a deeper commitment. It's opening yourself up to whatever that person brings with them and whatever that person wants to talk about and raise with you. And Jesus stands knocking at the door of the church in Laodicea. Knocking at the door of the church in London. Saying, I want to come in and eat with you. It's the verse that uh, my childhood vicar used um, uh, to explain how to become a Christian the night I became a Christian. He uh, used this wonderful picture to encourage us to invite Jesus into our lives. And that's a really helpful way to use this verse. It's a picture of someone responding to Jesus for the first time, inviting him right in, right into the heart of who you are, to uh, be a friend who will stay with you forever. But, if you look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, this word, this picture, this message was spoken first to Christians, to a church, to people who already knew Jesus, but who'd gone off the boil, who'd got lukewarm, who'd shut Jesus out. And it's as a church that they are being asked to imagine Jesus banging at the front door, saying, you're lukewarm at the moment. You're in danger that I'm going to need to discipline you, but let me come in. Let me come to the heart of things. Let's go deep. Let's have real friendship. Let me reform and renew you. It's not just the non-Christian world that needs to repent to let Jesus in. It's the church too. The church back there in Laodicea, the church in Wittenberg, the church in London, our church. We need constantly to be aware that we will drift, that we will become lukewarm, that we need to repent, to refresh, to re-invite Jesus into the heart of our lives, of our week, of our thinking, our family, our church life. So can you see that we might need to do that? Would you say, if you think about St. Helens, we're on fire with love for Jesus. We're red hot for him in a way that overflows in love and sacrifice and service in our community. Does that describe St. Helens? How about your life? How would your family describe you? Oh, she, he, on fire with, for Jesus, red hot for Jesus, constantly just trying to tell me about him because they, uh, you love him so much. Is, is that how your family would describe you? Or people in your street or in your um, flats where you live? You see, we all need to be constantly, always reforming because sin will try and creep into our hearts, into our traditions as a church, into our attitudes. Sin will try and re-establish itself and its patterns and its priorities. So we all need, always need to be reforming, coming back to Jesus, coming, turning away from sin. 
We always need to be reforming because culture will constantly press in on us and say, listen, just do what the majority are doing. Just fit in. Be normal. So we'll always need to be reforming because culture will press us. And we'll always need to be reforming because denominations like the medieval Catholic Church, like the Church of England, will get lazy, will get distracted, will get lukewarm and just plain godless like that indulgence practice was. The only way to stay healthy as Christians and as churches is to be always reforming, coming back to Jesus at the centre of everything, really inviting him in to be the one who is Lord as well as Saviour, who, the one who directs us, which is why we keep looking at the Bible. Someone asked me in the week, why do we have Bible study groups when we've already read the Bible? Because we, haven't, we, need, we forget it and we don't do what it says all the time. So we need to keep coming back to the words of Jesus and to prayerfully consider them that we might be directed as a church and renewed as a church constantly. And we don't just want to listen, we want to change, we need to change, to repent where we've got things wrong, to reform where things could be better. That's Jesus' vision for the church, for you, for me, for our church. And it's also why the Christian life is an adventure. It's about constantly embracing the next challenge, the next change. And it's a very great privilege. As we close, though, uh, let me just clarify the issue of indulgences, or at least of what happens when people die. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 is a very helpful key verse. It just states that people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. No purgatory, no limbo. Life, then death, then judgment, where God does the judging of your life and my life. That's why Luther was so eager to be right with God. It's why he nailed those 95 theses to the door of the church where he served. It's why uh, when it sparked a storm and he was asked to back down and to stop teaching those things, that he said no, he wouldn't. And he even faced death threats from people in the church of his day. Truth matters, which is why we need to constantly keep reforming the Church of England and St. Helens, North Kensington, back to the truth. It's about truth because ultimately it's about relationship with Jesus, our gracious Saviour, who stands at the door and knocks on our lives and asks us, are you lukewarm at the moment? Are you holding on to things you shouldn't be holding on to? Are you going in the wrong direction away from me? Let go of those things, he urges us. Turn back, open up and I will come in and eat with you and you with me. Jesus wants fellowship with us, friendship with us. He wants to go deep with us, to sit down and eat with us. So do you hear his voice this morning? And will you open up afresh to him?